Hi, I'm Libby Fulton. And I'm Greg Greenfell. And, and we, we like to garden. We like to garden. We like, we like to garden. We like to garden. We like, we like to garden. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I am Greer, and I'm here with Libby. She's and we are here to. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I was, was going to say, say you were a bit into... slow off the bat there. Well, I'm slow most days, to be honest. Um, <laughs> You're busy. <laughs> I'm busy. It's just another thrilling night, isn't it? It is. Recording with you. It's uh, a joy. It actually is always a joy. I love the catch up that we do before we actually press record. Mm hmm. We Tonight, talked about Greta. wallpaper, we talked about chalk paint, we talked about different <laughs> home decor things that are going on for us. <laughs> and our love of the perfect shade of antique green. Yes, like sagey. I mean, how our lives have changed. Do you remember so when we were younger and like, I threw up on you once. <laughs> <laughs> the sign of a true friendship. <laughs> I would have been like, you're fine, babe. Yeah, definitely were. You definitely were. You were fully supportive. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I digress. So really, we are pumped to talk about Meadow escaping this episode. But before we get into it, a reminder to follow us on Instagram if you haven't. Libby posted some stories the other night from her garden, which was really exciting to see. I feel like I loved to see it when I was on Instagram. I was like, oh my God, Libby's garden. <laughs> I'm, as you tell Greg, I'm the pits at it because I feel so unsure. I'm like, oh, should I, shouldn't I? I'm, I'm terrible. But I was glad I did it because so many people were like, what did you do? Yes. How, how'd you freeze them? So, um, yeah, so nice. Libby was picking her kale. Was it just kale or did you get some spinach too? And some spinach and some red beet leaves, some chard. So I blanched it first and then in hot water or boiling water for a few minutes and then rinsed it under cold water. And it seemed to have worked. And, and then you froze I it. And froze it. And I don't know how it will go, but I'm not too worried about it. But I think if you're really keen, um, there'd be some other Instagram people that you could follow that I think you could roll it into balls and then – lay it on a tray and freeze it before popping it back into a bag mm. um like you know, free flow free yes. flow that's but um, I, I didn't have the time no and freezer space is at a premium sometimes oh. you don't have space to be putting a tray of balled up spinach on i feel like <laughs> but do you know a really good tip and trick about this is that on jenny from cornwall pocket i feel like i talk about her every episode but she oh. always has the best tips so Jeez. she when she does her spinach and stuff she you know those silicone bake trays that you can make like a yes. mini loafin so she'll make little bricks of like um blanched wilted or wilted spinach and she'll just press it all into that so it freezes as a wee brick and then she puts them all in the freezer in like sistema kind of uh plastic I know. containers and so she just gets a brick out and chucks it in whatever she's cooking do you know what like this is a sign of the state of my mind i do that for baby food and i didn't even think about doing it <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, she'll sort itself out from the bag. I do that. I have special little trays that I use, like silicone trays. Oh, Lord. I wasn't in the the mental vein to think think that through. Where was Jenny when I needed her? I know. So I should have told you as soon as I saw her, I should have. Mm. I should have texted you. 
But anyway, we anyway. are here to talk about meadowscaping. And if you've oh, listened no. to our last episode, you would have heard us talk about it because it's one of the 2023 garden trends that we uh, listed last week. So we touched on it really briefly, but it's actually such a big topic. And Huge. there's so much that kind of goes into it, into creating an urban meadow. So first of all, meadowscaping, what is it? It is also called urban meadows, which we'll use both terms in this, but mm-hmm. it's a form of landscape design that embraces natural growth to improve biodiversity and wildlife habitats and it also conserves water although it is not a dry garden they are different things so the planting scheme uses the principles of a meadow but in a smaller urban environment and when we talk about meadowscaping in this episode we're talking about it on a personal level like not the council converting public spaces, which also kind of would be meadowscaping. But we're talking about it, you're most likely going to, if you're into this and you want to do it, it's converting probably some of your lawn into mm. on your like, house property. Urban meadows have a naturalistic planting style, as in the plants grow as they would in the wild. And so... Mm. Urban meadows can have kind of a hands-off look to them. So, and I did see this a few places online, people saying like, if you are not down for that messy wild look, it's not probably going to be for you. It's No. Yeah. If you like someone who likes structure and formal planting, Mm. then you're probably not going to be interested. But it's important to know that going into it, that although they're designed to be low maintenance, they're definitely not without work, especially in New Zealand, and we will explain why soon. But is meadowscaping, like how is it different to prairie planting? Yeah, so this was a question I thought of because we talked about prairie planting in an episode um, last year in 2022, which has been a non-style for a while, and all I could find out that it, it isn't really, but prairie planting is based off a North American and Eurasian idea and it's planting your garden and perennials and grasses before any farming or pioneer settlements, Mm. whereas a meadow by definition is a tract of land also dominated by grasses and non-woody like perennials but has possibly been used for agriculture, so it's had um, animals grazing on it. So that's why you see more grass types Mm. and wildflowers. And so the idea of meadowscaping is managing like your urban meadow to utilise native plants to benefit wildlife and local soil conditions to sort of mimic what you would see in a meadow. Yeah. So they are pretty similar, but it's just not as, I guess wild naturalistic as like a prairie style garden and i guess it depends as well where you plant where you live, live and yep. where you're planting things because i found like a meadowscaping handbook which would be so super helpful if you lived in the states because that's where it was oh. based for it was so detailed about the types of plants and your zones all this different stuff but a lot of it was like prairie style because that's their kind of natural if you're trying to mm-hmm. increase the biodiversity with natives in your area like it's prairie style planting so that was yeah that's interesting is I haven't found this online, but is meadowscaping sort of the answer to that from a UK perspective? Yes, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, where they don't have a lot of that wild um, 
grass valleys and things like that it is meadows that probably have been gra- grazed at some point or yeah, yeah yeah it just takes more cultivation i guess yeah mm. so we'll get into the reasons that why you should do it or because you should but we'll tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> the main tell one, me <laughs> the main one is probably because it's better for the planet if you want to go down that route so gardeners Everywhere we think are looking for ways to garden in a more sustainable way and it really does Mm. tick a lot of the boxes. So it uses heaps and heaps less water than lawns. And I saw this and I have not fact-checked myself. I'm just going to run with it and believe it. That apparently if you water your lawn, you could be pouring between 30 and 60% of your household water into the grass. Which is crazy. I I could believe that. And after, when we talked to Roz... And she she showed us at um, the Otatahi yeah. um, Gardens how much lawn a lawn mat stops any moisture from yes. seeping through it's to the soil sponge, underneath. Yeah. It is a big sponge. So yeah, I mean, as I said, I didn't fact check, but it sounds legit, and I'm going to start telling people that. So. <laughs> And when you do that, you're using water on something that actually does not give anything back to the environment. So no, there's nothing for pollinators in grass. It doesn't purify the air and it doesn't stop soil erosion. So, but yeah, but people are really emotionally tied to their lawns for some reason, which I understand. Like I am not personally, I never have been a lawn person, but I mm. get that people love their lawns. And so, and I know that they're practical if you've got kids and people just get a lot of joy from them. Like think of Peter, Louis, like he loves his lawn. And like if something's lo- giving you joy, like do it, <laughs> you know? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I think that the key here is it's a lawn that's manicured that kind of grass doesn't give back any biodiversity. But the grasses that we talk about in meadowscaping are often left to live um, the full life cycle of the plant. So they yes. actually do trap more carbon and they are beneficial, yeah. which Greer's going to probably talk about. Yes. So the first thing if you want to do an urban meadow, if you want to meadowscape something and you're on your property, uh, first thing you need to do is – start planning it so you can't just willy-nilly be throwing some cottage mix seeds around you (laughs) (laughs) which is to be honest it's kind of thought before we got into this what I would do and you literally can't there's a lot of work there's a a lot lot of work work. that goes into it that's going to save it down the line so I did see an article I think there was an article on stuff maybe this woman was saying that she had done that one year and then the second year it just wasn't as good and yeah we'll get into it but The first thing that you need to do is if you are in New Zealand and you want to start an urban meadow, literally all the guides you can find online are from the UK or the US. I Mm. couldn't even find anything from Australia, which also wouldn't probably be that helpful in New Zealand. So New Zealand's (laughs) really hard to find information for sometimes because we are a tiny isolated island that has a really unique biodiversity. It can be hard. No one cares. Yeah, no one cares enough to write guides for (laughs) us on how you can make a meadow. So... (laughs) So, um, yeah, and a big part of why people like doing them in the US and the UK is because it uses natives to those countries' areas and because they naturally have meadows and prairies and big open spaces. So a big problem with New Zealand is that we just don't have any naturally occurring meadows. So if you think about New Zealand, it's like lush bush, it's tussocks, it's wetlands, but it's not wide open spaces of wildflowers 
except the wildflowers that we do have that you see in the countryside on the roadsides always look really pretty, but they are straight up like introduced invasive species and not cute for us, but even though they look cute to look at. So, yeah. Uh, to, so when you do create an urban meadow in New Zealand, you kind of need to come to terms with the fact that you won't be – this is what I kind of found in my research. So yeah, the point of the point of doing it – is to re-naturalise areas. But if you want to create a meadowscape in New Zealand, you have to balance and come to terms with the fact that you are not going to be re-naturalising the local habitat. That makes sense. Like you'll have the benefits of stormwater drainage, pollinators and wildlife habitats for bugs, but it's not going to have the same effect as if you converted your garden to a full native garden. No, it's... Do you know what I mean? It's, I think there's like a scale. So at one end, you could... For meadowscaping, you could go at, you're going to use a lot of non-natives and a lot of introduced wildflowers and things that are really readily available in New Zealand. But on the other scale, you could use, say, 90% New Zealand species. And yeah. your, wild, your meadowscaping is going to look quite different. But we talk about it further on, how you do need to have some wildflowers or some flowering perennials of some type in it mm. to create that meadowscaping look. Which is, yeah, it's, yeah, it's probably a bit harder to do in New Zealand. Yes, with, well, with best New Zealand species, I should say. Yes, so I think if you can rectify in your mind and balance the benefits mm. with the aesthetics, and be okay with that, then you and can move ahead it, with planning. So, yeah, so it's yeah, just about balancing that within your own self. It's not going to be a hundred percent authentic to renaturalizing an NZ landscape. No. With this, if, if that's your goal, then maybe look at doing a full native garden. Yes, yeah. yeah. And if you're okay with that, then then move forward, as I will be one day when I have a property that <laughs> is big enough. <laughs> at the moment, there Don't. is no space. <laughs> no. But one day, one day I'll have a meadow. It's going to be so tight. But the first thing when you're planning it is to identify an open area that receives full sun. And when I say full sun, I mean at least six hours a day. Uh, if feasible, find an area that's not normally inundated with weeds and avoid sites that are infested with highly invasive weeds. Yeah. Uh, and then because long-term weed control, so weeds are like the biggest killer and the biggest amount of work you're going to have to do in your urban meadow. So if you get that right the first time, you're going to make your life so much easier. And it's uh, long-term weed control is also easier if you have a barrier around the area. So think like pavement or gravel or driveway or anything. So maybe the front garden that might have a driveway on one side, a fence on the other, Mm -hmm. something like that. And then also you could, if you have a slope on your property, you could think about establishing the meadow on the area of the slope because it helps with soil erosion, which is a good benefit to have if you've got a slope. And then the area needs to drain really well. So I think Libby's actually going to talk about plants that like the wet or don't mind the wet, but mm. most wildflower perennial kind of plants, they do not like to be drowning in winter so if you have water sitting on your like lawn for most of winter then girl it ain't it it could be a no. little bit but probably not for a meadow you need the area to be 
well draining essentially mm. yeah and then the other thing to think about and when you're designing any garden is to think about how you're going to enjoy it and how you're going to view it like do you want to create a path through it with a seat at the end or places to enjoy certain views of it are there places mm. that kind of would fit well with like a seat or something like that so that's something else to think about mm. there's so much to think about with this yeah and the yeah once you've picked your site and like kind of established where it's mm. going to be the planning like the planning your plants which Libby's going to take us through all about the plants in a bit but we'll just say quickly here that even though it's very far from what a normal garden mm. bed looks like you still need to think of it as a garden bed and you're planting and planning the same mm. way like what colors are you wanting think about the form and texture and repetition um patches of kind of like like plants uh generally more aesthetically pleasing than random single plants and actually i loved this factoid research mm. has suggested as well that it's also more desirable for foraging pollinators they like I, groupings of plants which i just found really cute that they, they get it <laughs> I, I read this online and it makes sense because they're, they're buzzing along about their day and then they see this patch. And why wouldn't you? But when it's just one, you'd be like, oh, what yeah. to choose? I get I it. I know. I love that they get it. So, yeah. Another thing to think about is that you want interest in your meadow for as long as possible mm. throughout the season. So you need to think about when things are flowering so you've got a good rhythm of things dying back and other things coming up to replace them. Because you can have colour and flowers from spring through to autumn, but you yeah. have to choose the right plants for that, which I'm sure Libby's going to um, tell us about because we will come back to planting in a second. And then, yeah. I was just... I just wanted to say that I think what you've described, having a good rhythm, sort of explains it all. And even though it is a very naturalistic um, gardening style, it, as Grace said, planning here is key, which we'll go into with the plant selection and how to do that. Is a lot of the handbooks that I've seen, that's what actually makes your meadowscape. It's a lot more research behind it than just scattering a packet of seeds across your lawn, like I originally thought. Like it's yes, not, it yeah. won't, it just literally, it will not work. Yes, because I feel like, I mean, they would look pretty. I did that in a garden bed this year. It looked great, but. But it was just like a, a small space. Yes, it contained. was a very small space contained. And it also, they all flowered at the same time. Do you know what yes. I mean? Like it looked really yeah. good for about a month, but you want it to last for like five months. So. Uh, yeah. Otherwise people are going to come around and see you meet escape and be like, confused and just yeah. think you let your garden it just, go it looks like weeds <laughs> yeah. yeah rather than it being like a purposeful space yeah that you've escaped yeah. that people can tell ah i see yeah. what i see what what's yes. going on here yeah and actually a really good example of this is the christchurch meadow that they do in Hagley park and they've mm. extended it this year it's so beautiful and i was there maybe a week ago so it's mostly gone over now but there's still some little flowers popping up like they've obviously got their yeah. like late summer flowers coming up now and so it's still really beautiful so it's a really if you live in christchurch and canterbury a thousand percent next year go and have a look at it it's so beautiful and they've done such a good job of it yeah, yeah, it's really cool. So prepping the site. So you've chosen your site. 
you'll do some planting planning and then the good site preparation is beyond crucial for the yes. success of your meadow so you need to fully eradicate aggressive weeds before any planting otherwise you are going to have the worst time mm-hmm. in a couple of years so and i mean like fully eradicate so some of them are still going to probably come back because seed's going to get blown in which is really annoying and something that you will just have to deal with on an ongoing basis. So I'm, I'm going to talk about further the resource that I use, which was, I think it's an American, it's Multnomah Metascaping Handbook, and they had a really good guide. So when Greer talks about eradication, they have a scheme that you can follow that goes for a one year, a one season, you eradicate completely and what you have to do to get that done. Mm. And then a two-year guide, which is less invasive, and then a three-season guide, so you do three seasons to eradicate all your plants, and it's wow. the least invasive um, action yeah. you take. Because in this handbook, they're looking at, again, how much energy and effort and what you could be doing to the environment. Because obviously if you're going to do it in one season, you're going to need products and so for your, um, your ecological cool footprint, I should say, is going to be more heavy than if you took three seasons to eradicate it. Mm. And I thought that was really useful and potentially the tools and things that you've got to use. So if anyone um, wants to learn more about that, it'll be in the show notes to go and have a read because I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. Yes, because that's the thing, to fully eradicate weeds. Mm. There's a couple of different ways you can do it. And they, I mean, some people do spray which yeah yeah and they talked about that but for some people that'll be like an absolute no yeah. so they it'll will have to take a no yeah yeah a, a, it'll take more time so they'll get there but it means more work it's more labor intensive and I think as well if you're going to do it in one season it involves a lot of like taking up that top layer of your soil it, mm. it, it just has to be done so if you do three season you can actually work with not disturbing um your soil layer and that's going back to that sort of no-dig method of trying yeah. to clear and eradicate. So, yeah, there's definitely um, varying ways that you can do it. Yes, yeah. And, yeah, definitely can take multiple years of site preparation uh, might be needed. So yeah, have a look at your site. But the first way that you can do it is by sheet mm. mulching, which is basically how you would prep a no-dig bed. So several months before you want to plant, like a year even before you want to plant, mm. you lay a cardboard, newspaper, wool carpet, or wool carpet on the site, and then a layer of weed-free compost. And then like over the course of six months to a year, that will smother all the weeds. And often though, it's not actually enough to get rid of the really deep rooted weeds. So you'll need to dig those out by hand Mm. or spray them. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the like least invasive way is that sheet mulching. And then the other way is that you can spray them and you want to spray the entire area and let everything die and then dig it over and then spray again once more weeds come through because it won't kill everything the first time. And like we probably don't recommend spraying because that's personally like we wouldn't do it. But I mean, you do you, like we ain't judging. And I remember when I was visiting Loch Levin and like Rotherham, she had made a new peony bed and she had sprayed that bed to prep it. So, I mean, gardeners do it. And yeah, the peonies look fine. <laughs> they look great. 
<laughs> they look great. I think, again, it comes down to own personal preference of what you're willing to do to get it. But either way, it's not easy. So you are going to have to do a lot of preparation to yeah. get um, your site ready for planting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And really do not skimp on that step. Like, <laughs> you will regret it. <laughs> you basically. cannot just leave your lawn as it is and put, no. think you're just going to put plants in it. It's not going to work. No. Okay, so I'm going to talk more about the actual planting. And if you want to get really technical with it, even though, as we talked about metascaping, is more a relaxed look, as we've learned nothing about gardening that looks good is ever red. Yeah. Like, no, it involves a lot of planning behind it. Yes. Um, so to restrict your selection is key. So they talk about using just five to six species, and this mm. includes grasses and your flowering um, perennials or wildflowers. It's kind of like it is like the same kind of ethos as prairie planting, eh? Yeah, it is very similar. Mm. Um, so they recommend sixty five percent of your selection to be um, sedges or grasses, and thirty five percent flowering plants. Now. This is where, when you're doing your research, you've got to obviously think about New Zealand. So a lot of overseas use a lot of panicum or sorghum species, and they're noxious to New Zealand. And you'll find with a, a lot of the ideas that they have and some of the millets as well that we, you just won't be able to buy them here anyway. So mm. unless you're looking to get on border control um, <laughs> <laughs> and get pressed, you won't. It just won't happen. And they also talk about, so you want to, if – when I'm going to talk about it later, and it's called like interseeding, but they say you use 20 to 30 seeds per square foot, which actually is quite a lot because mm, once you've prepped your, prepped your site, you're basically leaving no room for competition. You want those five to six species to really establish to get the full yeah. effect. And so it looks dramatic and people walk by and go, ah, that's a meadow, <laughs> not what <laughs> – is this overgrown garden i'm not sure i'm confused oh my god actual <laughs> so easy to get wrong guys <laughs> so easy so they actually on that um multnama metascaping handbook which is online i talked about before they have so many tools throughout it embedded and i clicked on them and they've got about five or six appendix that you can use they have a seed rate calculator um so you can use that to double check once you've sorted out which five to six plants that you're going to use if you're doing seed, how many seeds you need for the area that you've got. So mm. it's a no-brainer. So you can, it's like fail-proof, apparently. Yeah. But <laughs> apparently. <don't, laughs> apparently. We'll let you know when one of us knows <laughs> it. <laughs> so thinking about like New Zealand grasses that you could use, we talked about this a bit in our prairie planting, but we also made the mistake because we just didn't know, we talked about plants that you cannot get here in New Zealand and you won't be able to use. So mm. I really oh. double-checked this. <laughs> oh, my God, good, because we did not double-check the fairy plants. We did so. not. We, were <laughs> we got rookies. burned. <laughs> we were rookies. Uh, um, but we appreciated it. Yeah, we did. Mm. Hold on, Fred's just meowing at me. Oh, I got Fred. to get her out of here. As I started researching more, there are so many more than the list that I give you, like, Depending on the colour scheme you're going for, and um, I'll talk more about like the type of site you've got, they're really, when you think New Zealand natives, there is an abundance of um, grasses that you can find and buy. Mm. So all all of the characters that 
most people know here. So you've got your gold and bronze, your black, your brown, your trophidia, your frosted curls, and your testacea. Is that how you pronounce that? I feel like I wanted to say texture. I'll have to double check that one. Um, and the the carrot trifidia is actually a sedge grass, which when I saw in a lot of the um, writing, what the difference is. And sedge grasses often grow in those big clumps. You know how you see grasses. Yes. So that's what they mean. Whereas some grasses tend to spread out in a matting formation. Oh my god! Um, and, and some do in between, like do a lot. And often the um, the bunch grass have a thicker blade. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's a fatter, I should say, in diet. Yeah, I can. I feel like I can see it in my mind's eye. Mm-hmm. So that one's actually, common name is mutton burge sedge, and that one has a thicker, really green-bladed grass, which is really nice. Um, Poaceta, which is silver tussock, or another variety is a golden tussock. Um, the dwarf totos, which are really nice, which that's, um, I don't even know how to pronounce this, but I want to, I'm going to give it a go. Is it? Chonachakaloa flavicans. Chonachakaloa? I don't know. It sounds like something you want to eat, though, right? It does. Like a dessert, so I don't know. But dwarf toto. Yeah, I'm not even going to try. And oi which is a jointed rush. So uh, this is the thing. So you can get rushes, which in the New Zealand landscape, I'm going to talk about further, but if you've got a wet, wetter site, so that could be an option, which I don't mm. have. So any of the apodismus. Does Mia? I don't know. I should just stop with those. <laughs> They're all the species names. Sorry, I'm terrible. <laughs> I shouldn't be talking on a podcast, basically. Um, I mean, I think Dero. most people would struggle with Epidismia similis. That doesn't we, sound easy to say. No, but we'll post, we'll do like a Instagram post of these. Um, yeah. And a lot of them you would have seen online or at um, nurseries and things as well. Yeah. Um, just Champsia species. And the, the actually the Cordadera richi, Richardi or whatever it is, but two, it's Richard with two eyes at the end, people. That one <laughs> is really common. And if you Google it, you will know, you'll be like, ah, I've seen that all the time. Oh my and God, that's not just a right random now. grass. Yeah. It's really cool. Any of the Estalias and the, we've talked about before in our prairie planting uh, Anamanthalesia which is another one that you would have seen a lot around New Zealand. Now, I talked about so that thirty-five percent of flowering um, plants to use in the mix when you're meadowscaping. So that can actually be. Don't just think wildflowers. So that is perennials, and that can include bulbs and rhizome plants. Did you know that Monty mm. puts he puts tulips and all sorts in his meadow? And that's what I'm going to talk about. So if you want to go really European-based, as Greer talked about, it's not authentic, but you're still you're still going to be, have the benefits for the environment are going to outweigh mm. the, just having a regular lawn. Um, you can use those. Or on the other scale, if you want to stay more true and use more natives, and yes, it's not going to be like a complete – New Zealand native um, landscape, but you're going to get as close as possible that you can with your um, meadowscaping. You can use flowering New Zealand natives like pipi pipi, and that actually is beautiful. You guys need to Google it. Um, the New Zealand irises. So one thing I definitely overlooked in my garden when we bought this home is that he actually had a lot of NZ um, irises 
in our garden and they've flowered in the last like later summer and they're beautiful and I'm actually going to get some more so mm. you would have seen lots of those in the nurseries as well any hebes and flowering flaxes and don't just think those massive big flaxes so really small delicate flaxes um there's so many species uh, that we have that um you can look into and depending on the uh flowering color you could really go to town on those that look mm. they actually it would look really good and we haven't talked about this before and this is what's made it so exciting is that i predict in um 2033 so in 10 years from now i said to Greer, i bet that meadowscaping with new zealand natives would be like the new thing and i don't know what the flash name that they call it but it'll be something because new zealand has the natives that you could use to create this look would be such a vibe and I think there'll be people that already do this so well yeah. but it, haven't, it hasn't had the exposure worldwide and I bet in the future there'll be people overseas that will be importing New Zealand native plants to create this look. I, I think it's that. ahead of its time. Mm. Get on the trend early, guys. Yeah. Now, other non-New Zealand native grasses that you could use that are available for purchase in New Zealand, um, it might just depend. Some of these sell out really quickly because I've looked at them before. So you might have to do a lot of research and really plan, and they may not be local to your area to um, actually purchase. But Mm. any Lomandria species, which are actually an Australian native grass, and this was interesting. With all of the US um, grass species and I think some of the European, but it talked about Australian, if they're doing more a naturalistic style, they involve in the maintenance, like burning is like a thing that you could do to like promote natural maintenance of your meadowscape. Whoa. Obviously, Seems you wouldn't do that dangerous. here. Oh, no, Don't do here it close to your house, guys. If you're just converting something a bit closer. I was just like, how, how would that even happen? You wouldn't do it. But they're like, no. what if it's to replicate what happens in the wild to get the most naturalistic look? Uh-huh. But I think these people must be talking about like big areas. Yeah, yeah surely. Um, what else? Like a lot of the Festuca species are in Northern Hemisphere and we don't get all of them here in New Zealand, but there are some like blue Festuca grasses and things like that that you could find. Mm. Um, feather reed grass, which we talked about, that Carl Forrester variety that – Everyone sort of knows it's got the big fluffy plumes. Um, Blue oat grass. I'm going to Google that. It sounds really cool. Miscanthus. Now, we don't have all of them, but um, the sinensis. I say sinensis. I don't know if that's right, though. I love that one. That's the one I'm going to use in my future prairie garden one day. Yeah, I love that one, too. That one is super popular. So, um, And a lot of the mondo grasses. And do you know what? If you can't find these grasses and if they sell out quickly, you Mm -hmm. should be able to get seed. Yeah, but I don't know if a lot of places sell the seed. I think they sell them as, like, I I wonder if they have import permits to buy the seed, Ah. if that makes sense. I'm not sure. Oh, no, you can. I just Googled seed. You can buy seed. Oh, well, there you go. I'm 100% wrong then. <laughs> probably not. You probably wouldn't be able to get all of the ones that you kind of want with seed, but you can definitely get some. If they're from a New Zealand re- retailer, then yes. But if you're buying them from overseas, oh yeah, if I you're trying to get illegal. them overseas, <laughs> you're probably gonna get a big fine in your mail instead of the seeds that you ordered. <laughs> <laughs> now the fun part. So once in part of your planning, when you're matching your plants to your site conditions, 
as Greer talked about, ideally you want good draining. But if you do have a wet site, you could contain more sedges and brushes in your planning of what you're going to use. Or this is what I thought was interesting, NZ ferns. Cool. So it's not a traditional meadowscaping look, but imagine at the side of the meadow in your mind, there was a glen, a small bubbly brook that had some food. So you oh could my God, add stop it in. It. Stop yeah. it. I want that. <laughs> and other flowering um, varieties that you could use, it would, be, it would be like Achilles, lilies, and irises. So mm. don't be put out that your site is too wet, that you can't do it because you can. And Grace spoke about this before, which was um, compatible species and palettes and textures. So that's really important. And it's similar to that prairie style by you're still planting in drifts and try as best as you can to make a pattern for the eye to follow. So although it's meant to look naturalistic, you are still planting by design. And by that I mean, so five to six of your species, one of two of those would be um, your grasses and you would plant 65% of your area in those one to two species, which sounds really mm. technical, right? And then with your other 35%, you're going to could plant three to four different species of flowering plant, but you're only using them in um, small drifts throughout. So it's the grasses yeah. that dominate, even though you're using only a couple of species, and that's what helps make it cohesive. Yes. I haven't gone into as much detail on the flowering perennials that you can use to mix in with the natives or just do natives only. I've sort of said how, you know, that's really up to you. And I guess, again, it's just the look that you want to do. So Greer's talked about that before, how Monty uses tulips. So you could put daffodils. You've got all sorts of irises. And then you can go into any of the perennial, like echinaceas and things like that that you can think of and then moving into even just poppies and things. So you don't have to stick to New Zealand natives. It's entirely up to you with what you're going to do. But as Greer said earlier, that seasonal interest with the flowering plants is really important. And in that handbook that I talked about, they even have a bloom time chart as a resource to use. So you can select your flowering perennials and annuals to cover early, mid and late season. So that those one to two species of grass that dominate 65% of your area will always look pretty good and might have a late flowering season um, at the end of summer. But it's those four, um, yeah, four to five flowering plants, I should say, that will add that interest that you can sort of dominate from early, mid and late season mm. to cover that. So you've always got your interest. And a lot of early flowers, I'm just looking at my spelling, God, our notes are terrible. Greer's done a great job of putting this together. She really hasn't helped me out by proofreading, though. It's like a full-time job. So, like, I, what were you doing? When I was showing Jack this, I was like, look, you can see my notes here. They're pretty neat and orderly. No spelling mistakes. And then you look at Lippies, <laughs> and Jack was appalled. Jack was very shocked. And I was like, I feel like this even goes back to our high school days. Like, you couldn't even read your own notes in class that you wrote. <laughs> I know. And I'm actually a really good speller, but I can't type and spell. Does that make sense? My yeah. thing is, I, I, I never did any typing at school. No. Never. So, terrible. Anyway, airy flowers is what I'm <laughs> tipping, not flowers. Um, you've got flocks, larks, bird daffodils, bluebells, bleeding hearts, anything like mm. that that you can think of. Midflowers, you could use pentstemon, clematis, catmint, coneflowers, 
late flowering could be asters, sedums, echinaceas, and daisies. So there is such a wide range yes. that you oh could use. And when you said Clemens unlimited. I was yeah. just imagining, I think at Frencham, she told us, yes. she showed us how she weaves the clematis along the ground in between the other plants. Yeah. And you could definitely do that. Like, oh, yeah. I would actually really struggle to keep it to three or four. This is an issue for me. I feel like I'm a maximalist when it comes to the garden. So I'd really struggle to pull back and just choose. Oh, I don't know how I'd do it. Oh, my God. I know. And I'm actually going to talk about that further. So I think how you could get away with it, Greer, is it talks about, so you could do one to two grass species or three if you wanted, and then say three or four um, perennial flowering type species. But in between that, when you intercede gaps, Mm. that's when you could do some short-term flowering annuals to like mix in the space. So that's where you could get your variety of and you could change that up year on year. You don't have to yes. keep those the same. But yeah, cornflower um, would yeah. be amazing. Yeah. The other tips it talks about, and this is because you've literally eradicated a whole area, so you don't want any other invasive weeds to get in to your um, meadowscaping. Mm-hmm. You need to plant your grasses so much closer together than you usually would so that they can out-dominate any weeds or other unwanted grasses. And when you get, I love this, that they call overseas um, plants that come in the plugs. I just didn't know. It's such a great term for when you pre-buy if you don't grow them yourself. Yeah, like a punnet. Yeah, punnet, but they call them yeah. plugs, eh? Uh, yeah, no, they do. I feel like Monty often refers to them as plugs. Yeah, so you also do that, but do them in their large groupings and drifts, and you will need to do them closer together. Mm-hmm. And then this is what I talked about before, which is the interceding. So in your gap, so once you've laid out your grasses and your flowering perennials, that's when you can intercede with your wildflower annuals and things like that. And I think that's super clever. So that's the part that you can probably change on interest. Yeah each season depending on what you want to do once you work out what works well and until your meadowscape really starts to mature and again I've got like a really small list here because the flowering angels you could go nuts yeah so and that's really just like whatever you prefer yeah I know and I think a lot of them talk about like verbena and saying your silver and achilles like achilles I should say achilles achilles <laughs> just a bunch of heels <laughs> just a bunch of um you can go for gold with that. Yeah. And that still reverts back to maybe even things that you like in a cottage-style garden or what you have seen in more prairie-style planting. You can yeah. apply that here. You can lean one way or the other. Yeah. I was yeah. just thinking, do you know what I reckon it would be cute? It's very mm. low to the ground, though, so I don't know how it would work. But Alyssa? Yeah, that would be great, especially at your edges. or um, Yeah, because it really spreads got... like it's great for keeping weeds down. And also I'm going to talk about if you've got a path, why not? Because then it's yeah. actually scattered throughout. Yeah, you might not see all of it, but if you've got a path you can get it or from different advantages, yeah. Yeah, you can walk through it and see that. Also, for Greer talked about this earlier about how if you uh, – this isn't your jam, you're not going to go for it, but if you're on the fence and you think maybe I can, you can make it look a bit more landscape and groom so it can appeal to people that are like a more traditional garden by using like your house or your fence or large trees or any firm stru- structure that you have in your garden, like an archway, as the focal point to design your meadow around. So don't mm. don't just think that you have to do this just the square rectangle in your in your garden and that's just it. 
you can shape it around things to make it flow and maybe only use half your lawn you've got a nice big tree so you could have like a circle or an arch or yeah whatever shape you'd like to around that tree which can soften it and look really nice and by using the lawn uh, like a manicured lawn meeting up to it I never thought about it creates a negative space in your eye so your eye glances over it and then just sees your meadowscaped um, area and it just looks more natural, if that makes sense. Yeah. your eye naturally doesn't like anything too busy. So yes. when you have a negative space, it actually makes a bigger impact, and that can be useful on people that have a smaller space. If And if you've got a small backyard and you don't want to use turn your whole lawn into a meadow, you can incorporate it that way, which I yep. thought was really cool. And that's the same as using like a mon strip or a path meandering through. It just makes it more dramatic because your eye is naturally drawn to that mode strip and you, it then makes the meadowscape on either side look more natural, if that makes sense, yes. even if your planting's not perfect. Yeah, and it just creates a sense of romance to see that lawn <laughs> against that meadow, don't you reckon? Like, it, there's just something about it. It's the contrast, right? It's the contrast. So you're, yeah. you're you're making a negative space, which sounds stupid, but it works. Mm. And it makes it look more natural as well because it makes it look like everything was a meadow and you've yeah. just cultivated it, a small piece of it to be a lawn. So it looks almost like the opposite of what you've actually done. Yes, exactly. Just tricking but, everyone. Tricking everyone. But, yeah, as much as it is amazing, there is a few drawbacks to meadowscaping, right? Oh, yes, definitely. So it is not without work. So people think a meadow, just wild, leave it to go. As we've learned from the planting, this is not the case. It takes a lot of planning. <laughs> but it also takes a lot of work in that you are going to have problems with weeds. So Everything that I read online kept hammering this point home that you're going to get weeds and mm. it's um, hard work to keep on top of, or not hard work to keep on top of, but you have to have that in your mind that this isn't just something that you can leave and mm. you'll have to tweak the planting as well as things die back and if things are seeding, if you've got annuals in there, you want to make sure that the weeds aren't competing for that space because they are just going to mean that your annuals are not going to self-seed. So it's, yeah, it's better. And then in New Zealand, I mentioned before that a lot of the plants that the lists kind of recommend um like cosmos can be perennial in warmer countries but in New Zealand it's an annual so things like that you're relying on them to set seed and the site being good enough for them to come back next year and yeah just can't do that if your weeds aren't if you're not on top of your weeds Mm. and so that kind of leads into like a lot of the maintenance so if you are going to do it some of those drawbacks we talked about you are going to have to tackle and that will be you need to be able to identify your planted seedlings and your colonizing weeds or tree seedlings. And so you have to be able to tell the difference between the two to mm. remove the ones you don't want, which to be honest, I still pull out the wrong thing at times. It happens. I am having issues at the moment. My weeds are out of control, which I'm going to talk about soon, but I don't know what is a self-seeded cutie that I want to keep. <laughs> and what's like chickweed. They literally look the same to me when they all come up, when they're little. They just well, When they're little. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's terrible. And like anything, the same goes for meadowscaping. That for the first two seasons, you really need to water 
really well and more than you think just to establish it so mm. that it, uh, those plants have the best chance of outcompeting any other unwanted weeds and then you can ease back on your watering system. And you need to be able to keep on top of those easy spreading plants that you've chosen. So of your, say, seven varieties of plants that you've put in there of flowering types and grasses, some of those that you've chosen might spread and dominate far more quickly than other plants that you've chosen. So you'll need to pull some of those out and then help divide the others that you need to keep going or actually buy more of them. So you might have to continually... It's not one and done. You might each season be like, oh, that echinacea that I love just can't quite compete with my heavies. Not that I would even plant those together, but (laughs) (laughs) I know they're going to be the other way around, actually, the more I think about it. But, yeah. Yeah, I get what you mean, though. And you're going to have to find that balance as well of chopping down flowers before they seed. So you're going to have to go in and dehead because some of them you won't want spreading and seeded more and coming up but others you're like actually I need you to do that so I'm going to let you complete your life cycle and flower and seed and hopefully that you'll spread a bit more that way so yeah yeah. you're actually making your garden behave is what they talk about yes such a balancing act and you know from everything that we've kind of talked about tonight is so different than I thought it was than I thought having a meadow was going to be. Because I, I feel like the only time I've ever seen someone actually making one was Monty because he has a meadow in his orchard. Oh, Monty. But I feel like it's just different in the UK because he uh, he spreads yellow rattle seed every year, which I've told you about, which kills grass so that the flowers have a better chance for survival. And yellow mm. rattle is like a pretty flower anyway, like a wildflower, but like there's just no way we can't get that here. So... No, um, and, and every lot- spring he just like right, he like scarifies the grass every autumn, I think, to so that all the seeds can kind of get in and do their thing. But that's so much work. He like hand scarifies this massive area. And to be honest, they talk about that as part of the maintenance. That that's what you can do, or that's where the burning came in. And I was yeah. like, you are not burning here in New Zealand, so. <laughs> no, just on the back lawn as well. Like. <laughs> I'm just like, it's not happening. No. So that's meadowscaping, and we've talked for nearly an hour. I could talk haven't... more. I, I could know. Talk more. There was so much good advice out there. It really is the new next best thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we would be so I'm... keen to hear from if anyone out there has a meadow that they have been successfully like maintaining. Even if you haven't successfully maintained it, we just want to hear about it. Um, hear your story if you've got one if you yeah let us know if this is something that you're interested in doing and swipe up for the show notes because there will be we'll put all the like resources and stuff that we found but yeah that's meadowscaping we have been talking for ages so we'll probably go quite quickly through our personal things because you're probably sick of hearing us talk (laughs) But Libby is going to tell us what she's been up to in the garden. And it's good because we have been busy. I've been away. Greer's been away, so not much. I've been slack, been tweaking my garden plans, prepping my veggie beds, harvested a lot of herbs, and so some more spinach. Mm. The haven't attacked, uh, sorry, tackled the attack that I've had from all the caterpillars and 
stuff at the moment is like mental in the garden. Isn't that crazy um, that you are inundated with caterpillars and I am Snail City? Exactly. What is going on? We've all got our problems, guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. My, I fertilized some roses. Nice. Fertilized my house plants. My house plants have been so neglected. I buffed some. I spritzed some. You I gave them some. Yeah, I gave them a real good spray. I fertilized them. They were really oh got some God. TLC. Oh, they would have been. They needed out. it. <laughs> they were. My rubber plants have really taken some big growth recently, so they needed it. Nice. Um, Gria sent me a picture tonight of her king asters and <gasps> my apricot asters that survived the wind torment that happened to me last year. If you're a regular listener, you'll know. So lots of all my annuals that I planted just got blown away in the wind. Sad, sad um, days. <laughs> sad days. But they're finally coming up and they're like the tiniest little clumps. Like Gria, I would have like three or four flowers. Why are my plants so bloody slow? It's because yeah. I don't have your mush- my mushroom mix like you. Yeah. If, if that's what it is, I'm going to have to really compost next season. But yes. my peach, peach asters and the cosmos are just now starting to like bunch out. <laughs> it's it's oh almost time for them to die down. It's yeah. Our cosmos is gone. <laughs> no, done. mine's just start gone crazy. <laughs> Funny. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Greer, what have you been doing? So, like Libby, I've been away. We were away together, in case anyone's wondering. It was really fun. But it means that we had a few days not in a chitter to work on our gardens. So uh, the weekend before that, I had cleared the old veggie beds of um, old veggies that had done their dash. And I generally cleared the whole area of, like, all the old pots and things like that. And then I bought compost which is a huge job for you well done so annoying but um the other thing i did buy compost for the veggies beds but i have yet to Mm. put it in and there is a half-ass hopkinson move really (laughs) coming through so it's the compost bags are still in my car they've been in my car for like two weeks (laughs) in your car they'll be like hot boxing in there (laughs) Really heating up. Actual half ass Hopkinson. So, and then Jack helped me (laughs) weed two of the borders and tie back the dahlias because I did not do a good enough job of staking the dahlias at the start of the season. So, he helped Mm. me with that. And yeah, that was kind of it. But it felt very productive. Yeah, that is a lot. Yeah. That's something that actually I'm going to do is I've got a few areas. I'm being very good at keeping on top of those. areas with like bits of pots and bits and pieces that you need to tidy up but I do have a space that I need to sort out um I've got a lot of weeding oh the weeds have gone crazy and not doing anything don't for even a while get like, me started on the weeds I just I can't yeah. even deal with them right now that easy pulling I actually went out with the kids tonight and like half assed and pulled a whole heap as I was going along just seeing what the garden was up to um okay. it was super cute heaps of mushrooms but not cute ones like what are they called? The puff balls. Oh. And I don't like them. I want them gone. They irritate me. They're like a scab on your face that you want to pick. So I just go along. <laughs> and apparently it's the worst thing to do. And I kick at them. But I don't want them to mature enough that they get spores. So I'm, I'm shocked that you even like your section would be like damp enough to have them. Thank you. It's because of that rain that we've had recently. It's disgusting. I think no, he's like crazy. literally. He's inoculated the lawn with them. 
the previous <laughs> owner because these rings and the only green grass is where the mushrooms were because obviously it would like benefit having that fungi there but yeah interesting interesting um thankfully my husband is back from a lot of his work and he is going to be put he doesn't know this yet but all these jobs <laughs> that we've got are going to start getting done that we said we we're going to over the weekends that we had free but there weren't any hours free really to get them done so <laughs> a lot of all the hard landscaping and barking and mulching and things we're going to get on to yeah so that I can get ready to plant some like winter trees and shrubs and get that all in the ground so it's ready to go to get in for next season yeah um, all the cute stuff I've already put in all my um Eugene and shrubs and things so yeah that's my job and I feel like that stuff getting ready for like the planting and stuff is such big jobs but yeah. so they really do make such a big difference when it comes time for like next spring summer yeah and I've got a lot of work to do <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually quite good because it's clear in my mind that I don't I'm not pressured by it being like all excited over winter buying up seeds of storm and just wanting to have some color and fun mm. i'm not pressured by that at this time of year i'm just yes, like yeah the garden's yeah. done i can do all of that stuff and i don't need to worry about all of the cutesy stuff that i actually want to do yes yeah, yeah. i enjoy the winter work enjoy what are you gonna do uh, so I'm going to plant my leeks that i bought ages ago yay and they've just been sitting get them in the ground like I what have know. you been doing Honestly, well, I'm in here. <laughs> uh, and then I need to sow the rest of my winter veg, which I still haven't done. So I think this Sunday is going to be my garden day, I think. And then Yay. I want to weed just another border. It feels really hard to keep on top of my weeds at the minute. Oh, it just, I think it gets to this point of the season where you just like sow over weeds <laughs> and you yeah. just turn around for like two days and you come back and they're just back again. And you're like, Can I know. You honestly, not like get out of it. So that's, yeah, those are my only things I'm really going to do in the last next couple of weeks is sow my winter veg and weed. Yay. That sounds exciting. Yeah. I can't wait to see you get all your veg in. Yes. And then I think the plant that I want to buy, so this might be mm. crazy, but I think I want to buy another tree <laughs> this year. And it will have to be a wee shorty because of where I'm going to put it. So at the back of our veggie beds, we've got a couple of shrubs. We've mm. got a Mexican orange blossom and we've got the silvery green one that I don't know what it's called, but they've both mm. gotten really out of control. But the silvery green one is especially out of control and we've tried to tie it back and it just is crazy. So mm. I think we just can't access the back part of that veggie garden, even though it's got a really wide path because it just is crazy. So I th am thinking I want to take it out and put like a little apple tree there. But Stunning. Yeah, because I thought you can keep apple trees like really yes. super small so it won't shade the beds in summer. But, and then because I do love cooking, like I am not, I mean, mm. I can't eat apples, but I love cooking with them and eating them when they're cooked. So I love mm. like crumbles and you know, those like yummy autumn like apple pie, yum. Mm. So I'd love to have a cooking apple and just keep it super pruned. But my only issue is that you might have the answer to this is that it will receive oh. literally no, no winter sun. So in summer, it will get sun. When it's like actually mm. got leaves on it and growing the fruit, it will get sun but it will not get sun in winter is this an issue i don't think it is after seeing jenny's winter beds and what she had going and growing and i'm pretty sure if you went back and vis uh, watched those videos 
So this is, sorry, Jenny again from Cornwall Pocket Farms in Auckland. We're obsessed. She's a, she's a guru. I think she has some fruit trees and you've got to think in the future it grows up into the light space. Yes, but I don't necessarily want it to grow too tall because it will then shade the veggie beds in summer, Okay, which I don't want to do. I think it'll be interesting to see over over this coming winter. I don't know if you want to put it in the ground, but without planning or not like knowing you well, you'll what I think I think and put it in the ground I think you'll be surprised at how much light it might get because yeah. I have a uh what's it called an Acer maple remember you thought it was dead you're in jack oh I've and actually got an Acer against that fence and it grows fine so, yeah, and it literally gets no sun in winter, that yeah. tree. Like I, actually, none. I've got a lot planted along that fence that gets no sun in winter, so it might be fine. And also, I actually am going to visit Cornwall Pocket Farms when I'm in Auckland in April, so I'm going to ask Jenny about this. Yeah, she'll know. She'll know. She's I think amazing. go for it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm really excited about that, having another tree. I just love it. I want to plant trees every year, but... I mean, when you've got a, a very small section, it's very impractical. We can't always no, have what fine. we want. But no. Fine. I have nothing specific to buy because I haven't bought probably the last five things that I've said I'm going to buy. <laughs> <laughs> I still need to buy those. So that's yeah. my job too deep. I know. That's like my um, book wish list. It only ever grows. It never gets smaller. Yeah. <laughs> ever. <laughs> But that's fine. I need to borrow I need to borrow the farm truck and I need to yeah take advantage of the back tray so that I can put all my plants on it yes yeah. mm. yay well that is probably us what an episode yeah thank you for listening we really appreciate it and if there is anyone out there that knows of anyone or has done a completely sort of um, meadowscaped with New Zealand natives or as much as possible I would love to see it as inspiration because I think that's fantastic. And I would really be, I if I would do one, I would lean towards doing, having more um, New Zealand irises and things in it and probably only using, um, with my interceding, put overseas perenni- uh, annuals, sorry, I should say, in it. So mm-hmm. it would be interesting. I would, yeah, just love to see more inspo because that's the one thing you cannot find online and on Pinterest. There is yeah. none. No, there is not. You yeah, could, so You could be that person, Libby. I could. 2023, I would have named the New Zealand meadowscaping trend. Sorry, 2033, 2033 yeah. <laughs> yeah, watch the space, guys. Put a reminder on your phone for 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. It's us. Bye. Bye. Bye.